Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media, and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. I'm very excited to welcome this Emmy Award-winning composer who has a unique trap noir sound. He's created Grammy-nominated as well as Emmy, NAACP Image, and Peabody Award-winning soundtracks. His work has appeared on Owns Greenleaf, BET's Boomerang, Stars' show P-Valley, and Step Up Highwater, among others. And the composer is Matthew Head. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Thank you for having me, brother. Such a pleasure to have you on too, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Fun times, fun times. I'm just noticing now all these keyboards in your background. Yeah, man. Um, they are reminders of uh, my uh, growth in the industry. So they are literally all the keyboards that I owned as a child. Uh, so I have a wow. Kawaii. A Kawaii MK20, uh, that was my first sequencer. Like, it has a four-sound uh, sequencer, and it's like, you can kind of make your own tracks in there. Uh, my parents got that for me. I think I was like nine, eight or nine. And then I have a Casio board that has some really funky sounds that my grandmother gave for me for my birthday. And then I have another Casio board that I actually was using uh, for a couple of things Uh earlier in my career because um, I, like, I like the cast it had the cool little sounds but the kawaii on the corner is my first major like first studio equipment kind of thing I like to say like I began my process of making tracks and all that kind of stuff um, so I, they're like reminders in my little space here that I kind of whenever I'm kind of feeling in my own little way I look back and be like alright I'm good <laughs> yeah well you got into music pretty young so like did you want a keyboard just to like play piano or was that like a thing where you want to make beats or like on to like produce? Yeah. So really I did not want to play piano. Like my parents put me in at a very, very young age. I was five, didn't know any better. I wanted to play football, basketball, run around. Um, and my parents were like, you're not just going to play sports. You're going to do other things as well. So I started playing piano. Um, and I used, I started at my grandmother's or my aunt's house. My aunt has a, a, um, a grand piano and I used to practice there and I hated it. My, and my fingers were too small for the keys. It was, you know, the weighted keys weren't good. So um, my parents started buying me keyboards. And so while I was playing keyboard for piano lessons, I would actually push all the buttons after the, you know, lesson was over and kind of start making my own thing. And then from then on, I would, um, you know, each year that I'll play, um, the more advanced the keyboard would get. Um, so each year my mom said, you have good behavior, good grades, We'll give you, a, give you a better keyboard. So every two or three years for Christmas, my parents would buy me this nice keyboard. And then when I got to middle school or late, you know, into my, you know, sixth, seventh grade, my parents started buying me like actual, you know, really nice sequencers and keyboards. And and that's when I kind of started making my own beats and using that. Um, and it was a good motivation for me because the longer I played, the more I get to make my own music. And so my parents would kind of use that as leverage. And then when I got to high school, I just really, you know, started sticking to just one kind of vibe or sound and learn how to use drum machines. And so music was really a hobby at the time. It really wasn't something that I was, you know, running towards, but it was something fun to do and, and, and cool to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder if your parents were thinking like, we don't want him doing sports. We want him to do something more practical. And then you ended up in music. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny you say that because I was pretty decent at sports. Um, I started playing football like in seventh grade and uh, basketball. And, you know, I, I was athletic. I was fast. I had a full scholarship in football and, and, and track. So it was, you know, sports was like my life. And I still... I'm still a sports head person anyway, too. But um, I remember when I uh, started pursuing music full time and really going after it, my dad was like, you know, I thought you didn't like music. So I was like, oh, yeah, I do. I like it. And I just didn't say it was really a very private thing for me. Um, it wasn't one of those things where I was sharing my story. Like no one in school knew I made music or played piano. I had one friend that really knew. Um um, my girlfriend at the time didn't know. Um, my wife, who I met, who I met in high school, um, and we got together after high school. But even then, when we started dating, she was like, "I didn't know you made play piano." So it was something that I kind of kept to myself. Um, it was pure hobby. It was pure enjoyment. But um, it was great. You know, it, it was fun to do. And then it kind of just spiraled into this making music, and all of a sudden, I'm just doing this full time. Right. I think that speaks to the difference in attitude between guitarists and non-guitarists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing about me and music is fun. I don't make it a job. I try not to make it a job. I mean, though it's stressful what we do every day as composers and 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 when you work on, you know, series or shows or movies that need music at a certain time and deadlines, um it gets stressful, but at the same time it's like I get to make music every day and I get to make different types of music and different styles of music and, and uh, experiment with different things and different people. So every day is fun to me. I try not to make it a job or try not to make it um, stressful. Um, and when it does get stressful and if it gets too stressful, this might not be the thing I need to work on. Or, you know, I've actually turned down jobs. Like, hey, I, this is not it for me uh, <laughs> and move that way. But I always try to make it fun out of it. So, you know, it's fun sometimes. Sometimes it isn't, but I love doing it though. For sure. So were you into a lot of different music growing up? Because you have such a amazing range from doing like really cool like string arrangements that could be pretty like intimate to doing like full on like trap beats or like popular popular productions too. Well, I I have to credit my mom for a lot of that. Uh my mother, um, she could sing and she would sing around the house, but my mom would play Everything in our house. I mean, from jazz to R&B to um, pop to gospel. Uh, and then, of course, I grew up listening to rap. I'm, you know, I'm born and raised here in Atlanta, Georgia. So rap has been, you know, it's part of my soundtrack, you know, every day. I, even now, I still listen to rap every day. Uh, my son listens to rap. My wife listens to rap. I mean, like, we're just, you know, um, it's part of our culture. Um, it is our culture, actually. And so, um, but yeah, growing up, I listened to a lot of different things. My mom would, you know, throw on some jazz. She'll play country. Bonnie Ray was one of her favorite um, uh, singers. Uh, Sade. Um, you have uh, Anita Baker. And you, then you can go all the way down the gospel road of anything gospel. I mean, so every morning or every day, I would listen. I would hear music in the background. Um mm. And of course, me growing up, I loved, you know, pop music, hip hop, R&B. Um, my favorite uh, favorite artist of all time was Michael Jackson. Uh, favorite producer of all time was Quincy Jones. I just love the way he used um, his arrangements and music. And this product production with Mike was amazing to me. I still listen and study and go through that. Um, 
So, you know, I just like music. Um, the cool thing about it, well, not the cool thing. I don't know any words to songs. <laughs> so I literally just listen to the music. Um, I'm the guy in the car that's really making up my own words as I'm driving. Um, but I just love just love different styles and different styles. And one thing about me when I work on projects, I try to challenge myself to do new things and experiment with different, you know, new things and take it to another, you know, level musically sometimes. Yeah, that's an interesting point about not hearing words or or not knowing words at least when you hear a song. Yeah, yeah. I, the first thing I listen to in music, I listen to the bass and I listen to the melody. I love bass and melody. I don't know why, but it just for some reason it sticks out to me. Um, I play by ear as well, so the first note I always find is you know the bass notes. What's the bass note? Then I can kind of feel my way out. But naturally, that's what I, I, I gravitate towards. So when I'm listening to music, I'm listening for the actual music. Uh, one thing when I was growing up, one thing that happened for me that I did a lot was when I was making music. My mother was. Um, you know, I had to do an hour piano lesson of as far or like 45 minutes of practicing. And then she'll let me have an hour to myself to do what I want to do. And I remember I would actually play songs that will um, was on the radio. So I would try to remake the song in my little sequencer. And, you know, I say, OK, I hear a bass, I hear a drum, I hear a synthesizer and a piano. And I will literally try to make that. So I always gravitate towards the actual musical side of, of the music of the instruments of the music and then i would you know later on down the road listen to the words right <laughs> um, so can you talk a bit about your like background as a producer and also like your first deal maybe yeah so i started off as a music producer uh so i was uh, going to school at savannah state university played football um took my keyboard down there and i was making beats doing my whole thing and having a good time and from then on um, after that, I started to, um, you know, I got recognized for some, some friends of mine and, and I got into a studio and made my first beat and it got on the radio in Savannah. It was like really, really cool. So I did that. That was fun. And then I moved back home and working with singers and songwriters, still doing that. And I got a, a small, uh, deal with Universal Records as a songwriter, music producer. I did that for a couple of years. Um, wasn't fun. Didn't like it. Stressful. <laughs> uh, but, I did it. Uh, once I, after that, I was actually going to school to be a teacher. So I came home and I did the whole music producer thing and just wasn't happy. No one was buying my beats. No one wanted to hear my tracks. Um, they were all so over the place, big instrumentals. And so I remember I put a whole bunch of, this is back in early 2000s and well, yeah, 2005, 2006. I would have a CD of music of instrumentals that I would try to pass out to people and, Hey, this is my music. Listen to it. And I, it got to a, a production company here in Atlanta that was doing a film. And they actually put the beats that I made in their film. And then from that, uh, I got a phone call saying, hey, we got these beats from you. We like the music, but we need you to kind of rearrange it a certain way for the film. Would you mind doing that? We don't have any money, but we, you know, it'd be something cool to work on. I said, well, yeah, let me do it. So I definitely, I jumped on it. And uh, we sat there. I rearranged just the, the music and took my beats and did some things and and it, I scored my first film and wow. it took me like two days to do it it was like you know fun to do I just like ran through it because I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know anything about cues or you know time code I'm just doing it <laughs> and um 
it came out great. It won an award for like best film score at some local film festival here in Atlanta. It was like, wow, okay, great. And then from there, the director would like pass my name on and I started getting small independent films here in Atlanta, uh, short films, college films. And then I got an opportunity to work with uh, AJC, uh, our local paper here on their jingles and their and their documentary work um, as far as on their website and their news stories. And that was like my first paying gig. You know, they paid me, a, you know, a couple hundred dollars a, a, a queue. And it was like three or four queues a week. And it was like, oh, this is cool. And um, from then on, it kind of, you know, circled into meeting, you know, producers like Roger Bob, who was working with Tyler Perry. So I did, you know, some music for them. Um, and then from then it met with, you know, Terry J. Vaughn, just different people around in the Atlanta area that were doing it. And all of a sudden, it just kind of, kind of, blew up and kind of skyrocketed that way and that's where i'm at now it's kind of it's literally my story is very different from the average composer it was it was one of those things where i didn't know i was going what i was doing until i did it so (laughs) fun times though yeah i mean it's different but uh, well just to check for that movie was uh the kissing bandit right yeah it was the kissing bandit that was the first movie i ever did um uh and it was one of those things where it was, uh, like I said, he called me and said, hey, I put all these, all your beats, it was like 20 beats on a CD, and he put all my tracks in there. And he was like, hey, they all work. Um, and now that I look back at it, it probably didn't work. But <laughs> to him, they worked. And I said, okay, great, I'll do it. And I chopped them up and rearranged, found all the MIDI files. Um, my first equipment, I used a Triton, um, uh, Triton and a uh, MPC and Logic. And it was like Logic, E-Magic Logic. It was like the first Logic. Um, and I did it. And it was cool. And it, it worked for the film. It was like, you know, it's a comedy, hip-hop driven kind of film. So they liked it. And it was cool. Right. I mean, I think the cool thing about that is like not knowing or, or worrying about like the time code type of things or just... um yeah, just making music that you didn't feel like inhibited by the tech at all. It was just like you kind of just did what you could, and it came out great. I mean, as you said, you won a local best film score award. Yeah, and you're showing that you don't need to do like orchestral music, really, or you don't need to do what other people are doing to do film or TV music. Definitely, and that's what it was. It was one of those things where it was it was a blank slate. It was fun. Um, and I still approach my compositions that way. You know, I mean, of course I use time code and everything, but I always start with a blank slate. I try to start with a blank slate. I try to keep it wide open. Um, I don't overthink it. I don't like using templates a lot. I try to stay off of template depending on the project, but I like to kind of start with me organically connecting with the film, um, uh, without overthinking it. Um, sometimes templates make me overthink things. Um, so I literally start off like I make a track. I find a sound I like and go you know and come up with themes that way and it's been working for me um that's how i approach it um so but yeah it's, it's fun fun times yeah well actually out of curiosity going from like being more of like a beat maker to doing more let's say just like film and tv music majority at least right now uh have you found any differences in the way you approach writing uh yes um because of course i have to write from a different place when you write in cues um i have to kind of get more in dot you know in 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 depth with the score with the with the um with the uh the script all that good stuff so it gets a little hard sometimes um but you know i try to keep it keep it as um 
organic as possible. You know, when I'm making tracks, you're kind of just making tracks. Like, you're out here just doing your own personal thing, and you're doing your thing, having a good time, and whatever comes out, comes out. But when you work on a score, you got to kind of piece things together and put things and, and go by the, what's, what's needed um, and fall in depth and fall in love with the with the script and 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 put out the vision that the director needs. So I do have a different approach. Um, I had to put myself in a certain headspace. Um, I try to, at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's right. Right now, I'm trying to attach myself to a project that allowed me to still go back to that nostalgic, make good music for myself so I can kind of put the two together. P-Valley let me do that a lot. P-Valley was really fun doing that. Uh, working on Step Up was really cool to make, you know, that's my produ- producer role. Um, Stephanie did the... Um, uh, the score for that, but as far as my production side of it, it was really cool to to, to do that. Um, it was fun, you know. What I'm saying so, I try to stay involved in that world. Yeah, step up high water. So, what was it like collaborating with Timbaland on some of the songs? And yeah, it was cool, man. Working with Tim was really cool. It was um, it was different. Um, I didn't actually be able to work in the studio with him. We kind of collaborated. Uh, he was in. LA and then Miami. I'm in Atlanta. Um, so it was one of those, he'll send tracks to us and I will, you know, me and the engineer will kind of go through some stuff and I'll send back to him for his approval. And he was like, yeah, I like, I don't like, um, because he was the lead producer on the show. I was the, uh, a music producer as far as on the, in Atlanta. It was two music producers, him and, I, and myself, but, um, it was fun, man. It was, it was different and it allowed me to also do some, uh, work with someone that I admired. Uh, I mean, who doesn't admire Timbaland and, and what he did for, uh, you know, music in general. So it was really cool um, working with him on that level. And then he allowed me, you know, you know, to do things on my own. You know, a couple tracks, you know, he was like, hey, he'll send me a drum line and I'll just kind of do my thing on that. And then, you know, or I'll make a melody and he'll make a drum um, uh, sequence on that. So it was like really cool to kind of collab with him on that level. Um, and so, yeah, it was fun and and different uh, because I never, you know, had the chance to kind of like sit in with him. Um, but it was like we worked over the phone and emails and a couple meetings and and um, it was cool. It was really cool. Nice. And uh, I was curious if you could talk a bit about how you met Russell Zeker because I'm sure he had some involvement in getting on there too. And we've had him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Russell, man, he's like, you know. I love Russell. I mean, he, he gave me, he, I say it to him all the time. He literally changed my life. Um, I was a school teacher, uh, at a middle school and I got an email from Amanda Jones, um, who was working with Lionsgate, um, at the time. And she called me and said, Hey, there's an opportunity for a show we're working on. We need a music producer to help us do it in Atlanta. And your name came up and I said, great. Uh, and the show with Greenleaf. And Russell gave me an opportunity to, he gave me the keys to the car of Greenleaf and let me drive. And uh, I drove it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I met him uh, through Greenleaf and he was, a. Um, I remember certain things to tell me. I remember the first episode of Greenleaf, I kind of outdid myself and he called me on the phone and said, hey, you know, and he called me like off you know, off the record, it was off the Lionsgate phone call. It was on a Sunday afternoon. I was actually in the mall with my wife and we were walking around and he said, Hey, you got like 10 minutes? I said, yeah. And he, and the first advice he gave me, and I've, I've always, I kept it in my heart. He said, service the show. He said, don't service your ego. Don't service the actors. Don't service the director. Don't service me. Don't service Lionsgate. 
service the show, serve the show, give the show what it needs. Um, don't overthink it. And I've used that advice on every project since then, um, because the one thing that I was doing wrong that I admit that I was doing wrong, I was I made it bigger than me. You know, you're dealing with a show like Greenleaf. You have Oprah Winfrey as the executive producer and an actress on the show. You have these amazing actors and actresses and producers and directors like are putting their all behind this a great show. I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, and then on top of that is own network's flagship show. So it's like I'm dealing with, you know, and I am making gospel music uh, for a show that is very highly watched. And everyone is literally thinking about the music when you watch the show. And so um, it was, I was nervous. I was scared. I was, you know, anxiety crept in. And so the first episode, I literally did too much. I was throwing, you know, sink the kitchen sink i was doing everything i can and russell called me and said hey let you you have the job you're not going anywhere you got it um don't let others crowd your judgment just do what you know what to do and i did and um that show won an image award that the music won an image award it won a couple grammy nominations it was it it, it, it literally took myself to a whole nother level and um i thank him for that which op- ultimately led to step up um uh, where i'm at now with step up and worked that on that show for season two and now i can actually say i am working on state season three as a music producer and um and it's fun so i'm just he is you know russell has changed my life and i always would thank him for that yeah that's amazing but also just uh it's such a funny world with Amanda Jones being the one who reached out and now she's like Emmy nominated too and crushing it too. Amanda Jones is like, you know, it for me. Like I, I'm her cheerleader uh, because she was my cheerleader. I, I, I still have her original email she sent me. I would never delete it. Um, I've, you know, <laughs> and I never forget. This is Amanda from Lionsgate. And I remember her voice when I called her and or she called me and I on the phone with her and I was like, you know, she sounded so innocent and like, hey, you know, and she taught me off of ledges herself. And just to see, I remember when she left Lionsgate and she called me and we had a good conversation. She said, like, hey, I'm I'm taking my leap. I'm doing it. And just to see her blossom, um, I remember I got Boomerang. I was the composer for Boomerang and I called her because I needed some advice on some things. And she gave me all the advice, like everything I needed um, as far as you know, who I need to deal with and what I need to do and work around because I'm in Atlanta, you know, and, and she's in LA and I said, Hey, I need your advice on something real quick. And she gave it to me without thinking about it. And just to see her skyrocket to what she's doing now, I am, I, I'm cheering. I, I cannot wait. I know she's going to win an Emmy. Like she better win an Emmy. Um, and just to see her move. I, I just, I love it. She's so inspiring. And so it's just, uh, it's it's wild. And I, you know, I called her a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yo, do you know what's going on with you? And she was like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just so excited and happy for her and, and glad that she's doing those things, man. It's, it's It was fun. It's really fun seeing her go that. Yeah, it just shows it's like such a small world in this industry. And, and I mean, I think uh, also just being in Atlanta, it seems like you've you've made the rounds and you're like probably one of the biggest composers there, you know? 
<laughs> well, you know what? It was funny. That was one of my goals. I'm not even going to lie. My goal, I told a friend of mine, um, a good friend of mine, that I wanted to be the guy in Atlanta as far as when it comes to film and television composition, music composition. There's a lot of guys that make tracks here. There's a lot of producers here. There's a lot of songwriters here. Um, and there's some great composers here as well, um, but they're kind of hidden. We don't see them a lot. Um and so when the opportunity came my way, I really wanted to roll with that. I didn't want to um, move to L.A. I didn't want to make those moves. I wanted to raise my family here. I was born and raised here. My wife's family's here. My family's here. Um, and my friends are here. And, and I just felt like this was a place for me to to to, to blossom. If I feel like if it happens here, it's supposed to happen. And like I said earlier, I never used music as a I better get it. This is what I have to do. I never wanted to be my job. I wanted to be something that happened and allowed me to do, uh, make, you know, do things. And now that it's allowed me to take care of my family and be a part of great things, I'm excited. Um, so um, L.A. is great. I will definitely go out there and work and hang out. But um, my home is Atlanta, and hopefully we can continue to build uh, here and, and bring in other composers and, and um, you know, songwriters and arrangers to be on part of this television uh, roller coaster that we're in. Yeah, I think just one last question before the uh, final segment here would be: uh, What would be your advice to someone who's a music maker who wants to get into doing film music? Well, um, the biggest advice is study it. Um, I think you know I was lucky to skip some steps. You know, um, and I say that when I say lucky, I say lucky. I say blessed. I was I had the opportunity to know a certain amount of people that walked me into certain places. Um, and I was also the guy that I didn't look for the 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 money or the accolades. I wanted to learn the industry as much as I can. Um, and so the first thing I tell anyone that's wanting to do this and you know and want to get involved is to study it, to understand what music music composition is for film and television, understanding what music supervision is, understanding what cues are, and actually actually you know watching and learning the art of filmmaking. Um, and I think as a composer. Um, every every project I work on, I get more in depth with the with the art of the filmmaking, the art of the edit. Um, so yeah, definitely do that. But also too, I always want to. I tell people, you know, I had a guy email me the other day asking me, you know, what's you know what's your formula? And I'm like, there isn't a formula. I don't have a formula. Like my story and Amanda Jones and Chris Bowers and yours are completely different. <laughs> we all have different paths, um, and I think. I understood that very early, so I made it a point to say, well, I'm going to stay here and do it here. I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to copy someone else's story. And so the biggest thing that I tell a lot of people, songwriters and or you know, music producers that want to get into film television, go find you a local director and work with them. Mm-hmm. Go find you a local editor and work with them. Go find you a local producer that's working on the film and work for them. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the credits. Just learn and work with them because those relationships that you start at, you know, seven, eight years before will turn into bigger things down the road. Um, and actually, as you're working, you're practicing and you're understanding the business and you're understanding how to work with other people um, and learn the, the the art of filmmaking and, and film and ultimately the film composing. So, um, so yeah, I, I just tell people it's not a formula. Um, it's hard for me to give you advice on that because I accidentally fell into it. So it's one of those things where it's like you have to know what you want, 
And once you get there, try to learn the business as much as possible or learn the art of film composing as well. So you know exactly how to approach things and, and make it happen. Right. It's so funny because the the formula thing or like or or I guess just like trying to like match how someone got to where they are, it's never gonna really work out. Cause if someone knew how they got their first gig, they would just simply try to replicate that over and over again to get the next yeah. the next gigs. Yeah, like my first like my first gig was literally a friend of mine called me on my cell phone and said, Hey, I got your tracks on my movie. Can you come help me? Yeah, that's, there's that's no way to replicate literally. that, you know? <laughs> and I just said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll see you at the studio tomorrow. And that was it. Like, it was no... And he walked in with his film, and he put it up there, and he said, all right, how can you make that work? And I was like, okay, I'll make it work. And, and you know, that was it. And from then, it just kind of down the road. But, of course, you know, networking is net worth. You know, you know that. You know, you know relationships is is important. So knowing people um, and and being around good people um, will help you as well. I always tell people good people get good jobs, good things happen to good people. Um, mm-hmm. Amanda Jones is one of them. I am one of them. Matt, you're one of them. Like we're good wow. people. We're not out here trying to hustle and bustle and do crazy stuff is, you know, um, I think once you know that, you know, good things will happen for you automatically. For sure. Yeah. We have no, um, aspirations to be president but we can do nah, okay man. I, I, I do not want to be the president no nah, i want to live in my house and hang out with my kids and wife that's what i want to do for sure and make dope music but i'm curious do you feel like you you've like made it yet i mean obviously like the awards and everything are great and the amount of shows you worked on but like what would you feel like would be like the next thing that you you'd want to do or do you feel like content with how how life is well, um, I am content with my life, of course, because of, you know, I'm blessed. I'm grateful. Um, but I'm not there. Um, nowhere near there, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I think no one's there. Um, my goals are very high for myself. <laughs> um, you know, I want bigger projects. I want better projects. I want, um, you know, uh, I want to be a part of something bigger than me. Uh, and that's where every time I work on a project, I think about how is this bigger than me? Um, and once I say bigger than me, I mean everything, my ego, my personality. I want to be a part of something that take it to another level. Greenleaf did that for me. Greenleaf was literally, I was doing a, a lot of independent movies, a lot of, you know, uh, television films, you know, that were really one-offs and really cool things to do and cool things to say on a Saturday night to watch. But, you know, working on a show like Greenleaf and working with people that made me better um, as a musician and a, and a music producer and ultimately a film composer, um, that was one thing that I wanted to be a part of. I mean, Nathan Barr was a composer for Greenleaf. Uh, I was a music producer. And I remember I would listen to his cues and just, you know, be a, like in awe of what he was doing for the show. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, so it made me better. Though I was making the music production and working with that on that side, I took those nuggets that I was listening from him to my next projects. And so I always strive to be a part of things that are bigger than me so I can learn and get better. Um, so, no, I have not made it in my eyes. I mean, yeah, I have a, some awards and, you know, some cool things that I can say I have, but literally they're upstairs or they're in my office, like on the shelf. <laughs> and it's like... They're cool to look at and like, all right, these are great. They're good, you know, but after a while, like no one cares. Like, um, you know, 
uh, they're cool to have on your resume and bio, but I mean, I try not to even think about those because I, I, I stay in my lane, but I, I haven't made it. Um, I don't think I'll ever make it. Um, in my opinion, um, I'm just happy to be here, like just to get the phone calls and the emails and the, and the, you know, the retweets and the, and even hanging out with you is like, yo, this is cool. <laughs> like, I'll do this every day. For sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird curse, I guess, of the artistry thing. Cause I guess if you truly felt like you were, you arrived, then you wouldn't really have any reason to keep making any music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm working, like, I just did an independent film this summer. Um, it was a beautiful film and it was little to no money, but it was so cool to work on because musically I, I, I was doing things I'd never done before. Um, and of course we're dealing with, you know, emotional moments with pandemic going on with coronavirus and all the things that dealing with, um, on the street, you know, outside in our world with the whole race and, you know, we got a lot going on in, in this world right now. 2020 has been a wild year. So this project was perfect for me to work on because it was like therapy. I was literally just, you know, crying through the music or emotionally going through the music um, mm-hmm. because it was the, it, it took us there. And it's it's an independent film that is going to be in some festivals, hopefully. And it was a friend of a friend that I knew. And it was in the middle of a pandemic. He said, hey, I would love for you to, you know, take, you know, work on this project. And I jumped on it and just fell in love with it. And hopefully you'll, you know, do something next year. But um, but to me, it was bigger than me. That project was was it, it, the way it was shot, the way it looked. So I still don't, you know, I still love to work on make music. So I, like I said, I just want to get better every time I work. You know, everything I work on, I want to get better. I want to be the best. Um and I look up to people and I listen to them and I'm like, yo, I want to do that too. Um, and that's my goal, really, really. So I would never make it in my eyes. Never. <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, we're going to go on to the last segment for the podcast, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it and how it pertains to okay. your, your life. Cool. <laughs> so the first one we got cool. here is DAW. Logic. Logic, logic, logic. Um, I only use logic for one reason. It's the first thing I know. Um, the studio I worked out of was a was a, did not have Pro Tools at the time. They had eMagic Logic Studio, and or eMagic Logic. And I, the engineer sat down and said, "This is how you use it," and I did it. And that was in two thousand two. And have not walked away from it. I had no Pro Tools because I think that's what we have to know, but I refuse to work in anything but Logic. So, <laughs> Cool. Next year, we got Synth Leads. Wow. Everything. Uh, <laughs> of course, Omnisphere, I guess. Nice. Um, safe choice. Safe. Uh, yeah. Um, I like to use Omnisphere and make my own synth a little bit. Uh, I'm not really a heavy synth user, so to speak, I guess, but I like Omnisphere a lot. And so I kind of make my own, sample my own stuff and kind of manipulate them in Omnisphere and then play with them. So I guess that's the safest thing to say. But there are others that I use, but if I'm working, it's, if I know what I'm going to do, I just go to Omnisphere and then I'll manipulate it my own way. Cool. Uh, strings. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, of course, Spitfire. What else? CS, uh, Cinematic Studios, uh, Strings. Um, 
I went to, I found, I don't know if you know about this, but there is another, um, it was a string company that I just got a hold of. If I can find. Is it the Blisco one? No, it's Ben, Ben, Ben. It starts with a Ben. You know Ben. What's ben. his name? Ben. Come on, dude. You know Ben. Oh, man. Surprise. Um, You're stumping ben. me here. I'm stuck. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Um, I'm looking for it. Cool. Ben's uh, Is it contact? Yeah, it's a contact. Oh, so Spiro, uh, Ben Osterhaus, right? Like he's got those small yes. patches. Yeah, those yes. ones are great. Yeah. I yes. I I I discovered his stuff like about six months ago. And I throw them in stuff a lot. I like to use some of his stuff a lot. So between, you know. Of course, Fitfire, I use, you know, love their strings. Uh, I think that's kind of like, you know, I try not to use them a lot, but I use them. Um, CSS and uh, Ben, what did I say his last name? I don't know how to say his last uh, name. I think it's Osterhouse. Osterhouse, yes. Yeah. Right? And yeah. him. Um, yeah, man. And that's it, really. Um, yeah. I think that's really it. I don't really use too much anything else. I have access to a couple stream players here in Atlanta. So what I do is like I'll do my little sketch and I'll send it to them and say, hey, let's make this happen. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's really it. Nice. Last one's a very uh, juicy topic, but drums. Wow. Okay. Uh, drums. So, of course, I have like old drums that I used to sample from an MPC 2000. Um, that I used, I put in uh, battery and I used them in there and I also used them in, e, in Logic as well. Um, and what else? Um, I, I haven't done a lot of, now, the new, the new drums from Damage too. I haven't gotten into them yet. Um, I've seen your post and I've seen everybody talk about them. Um, I haven't done a score that needed that kind of stuff. Um, most of my stuff has been very, um, either, you know, drama, but more of modern drama, um, nothing kind of too overly cinematic. Um, I'm, I'm in that little television world with that. Um, so I haven't even, even dove into those drums yet, but I do have them and I want to, but right now I do a lot of hip hop trap type stuff. So I use stuff I've used before, like old, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny when I first heard that you you got damaged too. I was thinking like, huh, wonder what he's gonna do with it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, I feel like I feel like I'm supposed to have them though, like because they're I mean they're they're just good. I just they, they're good, so I was like, I, I'm supposed to get it. Like I feel like that's part that should be part of my somewhere in my in my toolbox, but I haven't I haven't even looked at them too much. Um, but I'm excited. I want to see what happens. I mean, but I mean, you know, we'll see for sure. Any other stuff you want to talk about tech-wise or I think we covered Yeah, everything. you know, we're all, you know, basic. I don't have any secrets. Like, I don't have, like, any kind of secret sauce, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I do ozone a little bit. Um, I kind of nice, I okay. beef up stuff. I, I, you know, compress it here. I mean, I don't do too much um, with my mixes. I just try to make sure it sounds as clean as I need it to sound. And depending on, you know, I do work with an engineer here in Atlanta that – misses my cues a little bit when I need him to to do those sauce he's really dope so I'll do my little cool mixes and send it to him and he'll make it even bigger than what it is so you know I have a cool friend that that engineers for me on the side awesome cool 
Well, you killed it here with Tech Talk, Matt. Uh, do you have any other um, or any news or any new projects you want to share with the uh, the audience here? Well, oh yeah. So uh, new projects. Oh, I just finished. Um, I'm really excited about a. You know, we did P Valley, which was really cool. Um, and but I'm excited about this PBS documentary that's coming out. It's called The Black Church. Um, it's a four part mm-hmm. documentary that comes out on PBS next year, Feb- uh, in February of next year. I'm really excited about it. Um, it covers 400 years of the importance of the black church in America. Uh, and it started with at 1619 when the slaves, um, landed here and, um, and it grows throughout the history of America. And so I was very honored and privileged to work on that. I mean, that was a, you know, to get the opportunity to score. I did all the score, and I actually did a lot of, uh, a couple of music, some songs and some production as well. So uh, look out for that. Uh, Step Up, season three is here. I am the music producer for that. Um, and I'm excited about that. Um, but hopefully the coronavirus will die die away pretty soon. We can get back to work. <laughs> um, and there's a, a couple other things that... Um, um, that are lingering that I can't really talk too much about yet. You know how it is, but um, pretty excited about some cool things um, um, that are happening. Um, I'm just grateful, man, to be honest with you, to be able to just still work and and be able to hang out and do what I do during this trying time of our country. So um, I thank you for even allowing us to speak and talk to composers that sit in their basements or in their <laughs> studios. <laughs> for long periods of time sure well thank you so much for being on it's always a pleasure talking yeah man i'm I'm excited for the future man if you need anything let's let's definitely stay connected on anything thanks for listening to this episode of composer talk if you like what we're doing feel free to follow us on instagram or facebook The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.